How is it going, guys? Welcome to the Serious Angler Podcast. For those that are new to the show, the Serious Angler Podcast is created to highlight the many dedicated and passionate anglers in our fishing community today. To be able to provide them with an opportunity and a platform to share their story with the world. Thank you guys for listening, and if you're not already, head over to my YouTube channel called Igbra Outdoors and click that subscribe button. Thank you guys for listening, and enjoy today's episode. So in today's podcast, we host Casey Smith, uh, another fellow New Yorker, to talk about what it's like to fish the FLW Costa Pros and kind of his strategies approaching new bodies of water and different things with practicing for tournaments. Uh, We're going to dive right into it. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, we are recording. All right, welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. Tonight we are joined by New York Hammer and FLW Costa Pro, Mr. Casey Smith. How are we doing tonight, sir? What's up, buddy? <laughs> Good. Got. I spent a long day working on the house, so it's nice to be home and settle down and talk fishing with you. So. I hear you. Any day is a good day for that. Exactly. Yeah. So how I like to start these is uh, I like to you know learn your story about how you uh, got to where you are. You know how you got how you started fishing and who got you into it. Yeah, my dad got me into it. Um, I mean, I don't know what year it was, but it's as long ago as I can ever remember. And we have photo albums in the house of me, you know, around my son's age. My son is five now, and we have pictures of me standing in a weigh-in line next to my dad when I was that age. So um, he got me into it. He had a bass boat and was in a local bass club, Barge Canal Bass Masters, when I was a kid. And um, I mean, that's all I remember. We had a we had a cottage. I mean, that's all I remember is fishing, you know, as long as I can remember. Um, we had a cottage on Cayuga Lake when I was a kid, and I would go there. I mean, the day school got out in the summertime till the day we started again in the fall, I would just spend pretty much the whole time on the lake with my uh, dad or grandparents or whoever would stay down there with me. And, uh, you know, my dad had a bass boat back then, the whole, the whole nine yards. So it was just in me as long as I can ever remember. That's awesome, especially growing up on Cayuga. You can't be, you can't beat that. Yeah, it was uh, it was about. I mean, not as good as it is now back then, <laughs> but it was good. And then um, uh, my parents split up, and grandparents. My grandpa passed away, and we couldn't really. My dad couldn't maintain the cottage anymore, so they ended up selling it. And uh, it was kind of coincided with that that the lake went through a bad downturn, and then. Uh, <laughs> The fishing really stunk, and uh, it got uh, right around the time I got out of college and started fishing down there a lot again is when the lake uh, came. It, it had a largemouth bass virus, and once it overcame, uh-huh. it was right around when I graduated college, and it's been good ever since, getting better every single year. So decent timing for, I guess, a couple of bad yeah. things. Yeah. I was just going to ask uh, on your theory about that, because I know some lakes you know, get better over time either because of a, a lake or – like a, a bass behavioral thing, but sometimes it's from anglers just getting better with, you know, the baits and products that, you know, as we innovate. But that's what I was going to ask you. Was it a, uh, an angler thing that became, the lake became better if it was a, you know, an environmental thing, but it sounds like it was an environmental reason. Why yeah, the lake- that, was, that was part of it. I mean, it went through a point when it was like 10, 12 pounds a day. It was really good. You can look back at some old BFLs through the 90s and stuff, and the weights were really pretty bad. Um, and then it got better. It was like a light switch. So, I mean, definitely the anglers have gotten better mm-hmm. the fish, especially in the summertime or offshore. So back then, I don't even know how, you know, guys like my dad used to find them. I mean, I know how my dad used to find them. He used to fish the bank and, uh, <laughs> that's what a lot of guys did. Yeah. And I know the guys that fished offshore in the grass would line up with this house or that house and, you know, just take a shot. Like, I don't know. But, yeah. um, um, you know, also the lake went through that largemouth bass virus, I think is what was in it. And um, I don't know how it came back from it, but I remember in probably 2003, four, five, somewhere in there, there was an Avon Anglers tournament down there. And this was when they were running a lot of boats, like 80 or 100 boats. And the weights were bad, um, you know, for years. And we had a tournament down there in August. And 
it just turned on like that day is when the 20 pound bag started coming back. And I remember me and my brother fished it. I had like an old 89 Ranger at the time and uh, we didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing. And we went out and caught like, I don't know, 14, 15 pounds. We had, you know, a little bit on the bank, a little bit offshore and everybody was kind of grouped up in this one big offshore community hole. And uh, we were like, all right, you know, we got this, we might have this one. We got 14, 15 pounds. That's a bag. And, um, we went to leave and go to check in and my motor wouldn't start and we had to get towed in by the sheriffs and we were so bummed out because we thought we were going to win. I mean, we were probably like 18, 19 years old. I was at the time. My brother was probably 15 or 16. And, uh, we were so bummed out when we got towed in and we had that bag of fish and we came in and it was like 22 pounds, one, then 21 and a half then 20 and then 19, 19, 19. And we were like, uh, geez, where did that come from? <laughs> It's, yeah. it never let off the gas ever since then it's only gotten better so i don't i don't know why it made a change that fast but it it was it seemed like it was that fast yeah now it's become you know one of the you know obviously there's a lot of big lakes in new york that anglers like to go to but but largemouth wise it's become you know the premier lake to go to if you're you're looking for a, a personal best you know largemouth wise if yeah. you're from the new york area yeah. yeah it is i mean it's a it's it's a secret amongst you know the country it's not really around here but yeah um you know i don't talk i try not to talk a lot about it to the media and you know i don't post about it a lot on social media because i i don't want it to turn into uh the number one ranked bass lake in the country and then there's guys there all the time so, yeah. but it's good i mean it's it's as good as any of our smallmouth fisheries if you like and any of the largemouth fisheries i've been anywhere in the country it's as i mean it's better no no doubt yeah. it's better so yeah, I'm guilty of that where I've caught a five out of there and I've posted pictures to uh, social media and everything and I've had guys from the south direct message me and they're like oh where are you fishing you did you leave New York and they won't believe me when I tell them that it's actually from New York where I caught the fish they don't yeah. don't think they grow that big up here they're like oh we thought it's only smallmouth up there and that's that's all there is but no we, we get some big green ones so yeah I mean we got as many lakes with big green ones as we do uh smallmouth I think I think I mean, if yeah. you look at the Finger Lakes region between the smaller ones like Canisius and anyway, it's not a big fish lake, but there's a million fish in it. And uh, <laughs> in there, Cuca has giant largemouth in it, even though they're not the primarily targeted species in there. And, yeah. you know, Nida has its ears with big largemouth on and off. And even if you go to the Great Lakes or St. Lawrence River, I mean, you can catch all the largemouth you want to catch. You're not going to win many tournaments, but. Yeah. If you were on a vacation or fun fishing, I mean, you could have a ball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're pretty spoiled up here where the majority of our Finger Lakes, you can get a nice mixed bag if you want. If you know the lakes well, you can stumble yeah. on green and brown. Depends I on think I saw, we were talking about it with a buddy of mine the other day. I, I can't remember who it was, but there was a bag out of the St. Lawrence River of Largemouth last fall that was like 27 pounds or something like that. It was a local club championship or something like that. And the guy had 27-something, oh. 28 pounds of of, of largemouth that, so that they're, is, they're up there but right now they're yeah. not getting targeted like the smallmouth so they don't get exposed yeah i remember watching one of the lives uh with bassmaster and watching hunter shryock come in with the all he had like 20 pounds of largemouth and that was yeah. like, everyone's watching you know smallmouth smallmouth everybody comes in and he pulls out these largemouth and fans were like where the heck did you bring them did you go to yeah. the right lake like <laughs> it was yeah it's pretty interesting, but it, it, yeah, they're it, in there. I mean, I'm guilty of it as much as the next guy. When I go to a tournament up there, I don't even bring my my largemouth rods or tackle or anything yeah. because I say if I'm doing that, I'm fishing for, I mean, not even second for like 25th yeah. or worse. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can do better than that, but yeah, I feel like if you're if you're spending your time doing that, it's time you're wasting finding smallmouth. So I don't even I don't even bother with it, but yeah. It was kind of a weird call he made going towards the green ones. I think that's just kind of where he felt comfortable. But, you know, when you're in the St. Lawrence River, you know, you, you have a chance at, you know, trophy smallmouth. Why Why would you not? Why would you not? Right. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, the, I just think you're going to get – you're much more likely to find a place where you can make five drops and yeah. catch 25 pounds in the time you would spend hunting for a decent largemouth that you're probably not likely to catch three or four days worth – of them you know i mean that that's yeah. a lot of large bit a lot of big large mouth to catch there there's a lot more big small yeah. mouth so that's yeah. that's why i don't even monkey with them but i always say every year i like to spend a 
family weekend up there or just a vacation for two or three days, you know, and just just go largemouth fishing and have a blast. I I bet you that the FLW uh, Pro Circuit Championship that's going to be in every fish counts this summer, I bet that largemouth will have a very big hand in that tournament with, you know, every fish counting. You can catch the fire out of them probably even at a faster pace than you can a smallmouth, but the yeah. size just isn't isn't there. That would be interesting, but it's also kind of cool though, because when you're not in a tournament scenario, you can you feel more comfortable breaking away to to what you know and going and exploring and trying to learn something different about you know whether it be a bait or a certain area or a lake that you're not used to going after, you know, brown or, or largemouth. You know, it's it's kind of cool to you know you can venture off without any risk of losing anything right. and trying to trying to figure out something new. Like right. Lake Erie, I've I've talked with my buddies Andrew Full who fishes almost predominantly Lake Erie for smallmouth said he found there's areas where you can catch 20 to 22 pounds of, of largemouth, which is unheard of on Lake Erie, which is, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. We're, we're pretty spoiled up here in, in New York and it's very low key, which a lot of you know, people from New York like it to be. So, yeah, I like that. I mean, I've been to Gunnersville many, you know, not many times, but three or four times in Kentucky Lake and everywhere, you know, all those major fisheries and, you can go out any day of the week around here, even when there is a tournament, and it's never overcrowded. The fishing's always good. They're not overpressured. I mean, I hear people around here talk about, you know, fishing pressure, getting to fish and stuff, and it's like, man, you should take, go to Gunnersville for a weekend. And uh, I think when we were there for the Costa Championship, we had 200 boats or 250, whatever it is. This was two two falls ago, yeah, and there was like a 300 boat team championship going on out of tennessee and another high school or college tournament going on with like 100 boats it was ridiculous there had to been five or six hundred boats out there and i mean you still catch fish it's it's yeah. not as easy as it is around here but they still bite so the yeah. fishing pressure that people talk about around here sometimes is a little bit uh, ridiculous i think yeah when it comes to fishing pressure around here i think that is ridiculous i think it's more if there's any pressure it's more of like a a Canisius Lake and a hot July day with the amount yeah. of boats and jet skis. And that's about all the pressure yeah. you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, look at that lake too. It pumps out big fish yeah. every single year. Last year it turned down a little. I didn't go down there, but I yeah. heard the grass was a little bit off or something. And the weights were down. But I mean, the place is a glorified pond. It's eight miles long by, I don't know, a half or a quarter mile wide. And it's just, 20 pounds after 20 pounds after 20 pounds from the day yeah. the season opens till the day we can't fish anymore and it gets yeah. you know more tournaments than anywhere we have around here so um you know it takes a little more finesse technique there sometimes definitely can be accounted to fishing pressure but it's not like they just won't bite your bait or you know when yeah. you get on bads or hard to catch or anything like that it's it's not nearly yeah. what the country is like yeah, and I think a prime example of how lakes kind of determine weights and how fish react is Canisius is a prime example this past year where, like, we, we just went over, the grass went completely sparse, and it was, like, a very cloudy, uh, you know, it was very murky. It's weird for Canisius, you know, in that late summer, it's, it's usually fairly clear unless, you know, a storm rolled through or whatnot. But um, I had actually started night fishing Canisius because I was so frustrated during the day dealing with boaters and jet skis. Yeah. You know, as a kayaker, especially, you know, that can get very annoying, and especially when they don't care to look out for you. Yeah. Uh, so my buddies and I were like, we never tried night fishing. Let's try it. So there's really not much strategy to the night fishing, so I don't mind giving away this, you know, honey hole, which the entire lake, it, it's you can do it around the entire lake, so it's not like you're spot burning either. Um, but every night that we went out, and there was we went out six or seven nights, we put up 20 to 22 pounds a night. Of wow. just throwing topwaters because the fish are still there. It's just, yeah. you know, it's behavior. You kind of learn something a little bit with, with that. Yeah. It's And you're catching, you know, 20 to 21 inch uh, smallmouth as well that are coming up to feed. And it just yeah. sounds like cannonballs dropping everywhere. Yeah. yeah, they feed heavy at night in the summertime yeah. too, the smallmouths do. And yeah. topwater, you can't, I don't throw it at all during the day down there, but I don't think yeah. you can catch them that good on topwater in the daytime. So that's pretty cool. That's a cool, something different to do. Yeah, it was extreme. I was not used to that at all, but it was awesome. You know, you're in the pitch black with your buddies, and then you're hearing your whopper plopper, and now all you hear is a cannonball drop and the rod tuck out of your hand. So it was, it was a lot of fun. It, it was definitely different. Um, I think the only lake in New York, you know, this summer that 
I really got a good top order, but and usually Kanisha is perfect for it. But it was you know Kyuko was actually was really good. Yeah, uh, Kyuga was kind of hit or miss. It depended on yeah. where you were. Middle Knight is probably the best one I would say for mm. top water. But yeah, uh, I, don't, I guess I don't I don't throw top water a whole lot anyways. But mm. um, my theory is. I don't know. If a fish is going to come up and break the surface for that, it's probably going to hit a swim jig or a swim bait on its way by. So that's half the distance. Kind of, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, kind of how I handle it. But, you know, fishing down in the south more the last few years for coastas and stuff like that, I mean, there is absolutely times when they prefer that over a subsurface bait. The fall time for sure down there. And then, like, the Potomac in the, in the middle of summer, we've had a few of them in August lately. And uh, for whatever reason, they will not bite a uh, swim jig or, uh, you know, anything like that. But they'll come up and hit a frog or a pop bar or something like that. So I, I don't know what it is. I haven't fished down there enough to really know. But there, it doesn't seem to get that way up here. They're not going to pass by your swim bait to hit a top water. I don't think around here too often. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You won one at, at Potomac, didn't you? Yeah, I won. So one I say in, no, well enough then. <laughs> yeah, in 2016, it's that one up there is from the yeah. Potomac. so uh it was 2016 that was not a top water event though that was in june um post spawn i don't know i think that's the best time of year to be on the potomac uh, and i wanted on a swim bait actually out of well a combination of a swim bait a chatter bait and a swim jig but i caught probably 75 percent of the fish on a swim bait um just a 4.8 kitek that i had belly weighted you know belly rib like the old screw lock belly weight hook yeah. old school style like 10 years ago old school style <laughs> and, uh, i just kind of feathered it through the grass almost like you would a worm and uh, i found one little ditch that they were loaded in and it was just it was cool for three days a magic magic spot i never picked up the power poles for three days for the most part yeah so you've obviously been as you said uh, there's pictures of you in line at a weigh-in with your dad and everything so you've been in a tournament scene your whole life but when did you kind of decide to take it to that next level uh probably when i got done with college um that's when it really took off so i didn't fish a whole lot during like high school and college because i was playing hockey so much i played you know mm -hmm. pretty high level hockey in my whole life and when i got done when i got into college actually the first two years i went to um, plattsburgh so i was right on lake champlain and <laughs> there was not a lot else to do besides play hockey uh enjoy a little nightlife and then uh, you know hang out around the lake so yeah um, me and a couple guys i lived with would start to go to the lake a little bit when the weather would get nice in the spring or in the fall before the weather got bad we even ice fished a few times and i started to get the itch back you know more and more and more even before that really i started to get the itch back and i think it was after my freshman year i saved my money one summer and instead of having money during the school year i bought an old boat and um so i i had that really right through college and uh, after two years i transferred to geneseo and lived uh on canisius instead of living on the lake on the campus we rented a house on the lake and fished more than we did anything else including go to class or any of that <laughs> but uh when i got done with college is when you know the com competition the competitive you know juices weren't being fulfilled anymore i wasn't playing you know hockey anymore competitively really yeah so i needed something to do and i joined rochester Bassmasters, which is just a local club and um you know just met a bunch of really cool people there guys that are still my best friends now um, I met there and, um, you know, we all were at similar points in our life where we were coming out of college, young, loved to fish, you know, almost all my best buddies played hockey too, coincidentally that were in the club. So we all just had another level of competitiveness than, you know, the average person probably has and gravitated towards each other and taught each other. And the whole group of guys became very successful and, we all kind of moved down the road to fishing New York Bass Nation, or back then it was New York Federation stuff, um, and kind of came addicted to that path, trying to get to the Bassmaster Classic and and running through points races. And, you know, amongst our group, we were winning tournaments and guys were winning Angler of the Years and qualifying for nation championships and coming within pounds of making it to the Classic. And it just kind of, you know spiraled and then 2016 me and um you know my best buddy chris o'brien at the time decided to fish he actually decided to fish the costas 
Mm-hmm. And I said, if I can get some sponsor money to do it, I'll jump in with you. And I had uh, a mutual friend introduce me to a guy that was willing to help out and jumped in. And the first one was that tournament we talked about on the Potomac. And yeah, that's just kind of how things, you know, snowballed into where they are now. And I think when I got the first taste of, you know, success at that level, there was no turning back because it's an addiction that's worse than, you know, when you can work hard and, you know, reap the rewards of that hard work um, on that type of a stage, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if addicting is the word or satisfying or what it is. And um, for me, I'm not ready to stop, you know, feeling that at the time, at the moment. So I'm just addicted to it at that level. I, I absolutely love it and have goals that, I haven't been able to meet yet at that level. And, um, you know, the next, as far as the next level goes, I don't know, you know, where that'll go one day or not. But um, for where I am right now, it's, you know, it goes back to still filling that competitive flow, you know, from yeah. college hockey and in sports my whole life. Yeah, and it's, while you say how you feel that, I think a lot of people can see it too. Um, and it shows, and it shows not only with you guys, you know, how skilled you guys are, but you're, your knowledge, you know, in the results that you come from the tournament. And like we were just speaking at the, at the expo this past weekend. And one thing I kind of joked with you about was, you know, when you saw, you see Casey and Chris roll up to the the launch for a tournament, you think, ah, oh, crap, you know, anybody from New York knows that when you guys come, it means business and you're, you're not getting a win very easily. So, you know, but you guys work for it. You know, it's not something that was given to you guys. You definitely, you know, the passion's there and that's how you guys became as talented as you are today. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt that, I mean, in our group of friends, I wouldn't even consider myself, you know, close to the best angler in that group of friends. For whatever reason, I had, you know, a few breaks that other guys didn't get or, you know, it translated better at certain levels. I don't know what the reason is, but amongst the group, that group thrives off each other. We still do now. I mean, it's a very tight group of guys. I talk about it, you know pretty openly i've talked about it to flw media and and you know a lot of people that uh you know even like rooming with chris uh, the years we roomed together we we roomed together for three or four years in the fed and then um a couple of years in the coasts and the mornings when you're dragging you don't want to get out of bed and he pops up at the alarm it gets you up because it's pushing you there's those days when he would call me at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning or I would call him and I was dragging and not catching them and feeling bad for myself. And I would say, Hey, are they not biting for you too? And you go, no, dude, I've got like, you know, 10 bites already and best five probably would have went 22 pounds. And you're like, Oh my God, I got to stop. You know, I got to stop feeling sorry for myself, refocus and go. Cause I mean, it got to the point where you literally didn't want to lose to each other. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's that level of a guy you're doing that with, you just feed off of each other. Um, and we have other buddies too, that are, that are the same way. And um, just everybody pushes each other and everybody learns from each other and um, wants each other to be successful, you know, most importantly. And um, it doesn't matter. Some of those guys are fishing fed stuff, some fish BFL stuff, some fish club stuff. They, we fish all kinds of stuff and we all want each other to do well at the respective level. And, uh, there, there's no doubt when I, when I met that group of guys, it changed my, the path of my fishing career. I was an okay fisherman, you know, but I could never really win or never, um, get to the level I felt like I wanted to be at. And when I met those guys, um, they taught me how to win. They taught me how to be successful and how to work hard and, you know, through the years, we've just all fed off of each other in that regard. Well, that's a cool system, though, because, you know, everybody has their own strength. You know, not everyone's going to be, you know, when you look at one angler to the next, they're not going to be the same with their strengths, their confidence, their knowledge, you know, their tendencies, I guess, in their decision making. Everybody's different. So it's cool that you guys can have that competitive drive where you want to beat up on each other. But at the end of the day, you guys are also there to, you know, build each other up and make yeah. each other better anglers because you guys can all teach each other something. Yeah, we bust each other's chops pretty regularly. Every once in a while, someone gets uh, a little bit offended, but uh, get over it pretty quick. And the bottom line is we want everybody to do well. We care a lot about each other, and um, our families are close. You know, it goes down to our kids. Our kids, mine and my buddy Chris, our kids play hockey together and against each other. And 
you know, we're at everybody's kids' birthday parties and that, uh, you know, whole work. So it's, it's a tight knit group of friends and there is guys, you know, we've all developed now. It's matured so much that we've developed into very similar style fishermen, but, um, there's still some versatility there. And back when it, we all first met each other, we were drastically different. I remember at the time I loved fishing shallow and, uh, you know, Chris, he loved to fish out and fish deep and offshore. And he taught me how to do that. He taught me his system of how to fish offshore. He taught me a system, how to break down water. He taught me a system of, you know, practice preparation, everything. And, uh, that's where things changed for me. And at the time, I think my drive to succeed fed him as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, it just, it was a very good relationship and, um, you know, still to this day, enjoy fishing with each other, talk about fishing together all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, a testament of you guys fishing together and how deadly you are was going back to Cayuga last year. And I'm sure people who follow you guys know just exactly how deadly you guys can be dropping. Yeah. The, I didn't post back in New York. It's so hard to do. I didn't uh, post that one on social media for a reason, as much as I would have liked to, uh, yeah. I don't know if brag is the right word, but just, you know, reap, you know, feel success and share that. Uh, yeah. I didn't post that one online because <laughs> I was a little worried I was going to get a bunch of attention. <laughs> That's when you do yeah, the, uh, the lake. you do the, uh, the, the shot where you have your phone from the bottom up. So you only see the, yeah. the fish in the sky, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was fun. I didn't, I'd never fished a catch way release tournament like that before. And, um, you know, it was fun. It was, it's not as cool as putting them in the live well and putting them on the scale, but, yeah. um, I mean, if you catch over 30 pounds of bass, that's fun any day of the week. So, Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> Or is it, yeah, any day, especially. It, I mean, it was, it was one of those days where, like, like what makes it fun for all of us to fish together is when you're with another guy who likes fishing so much that when a big fish comes over the side, you don't even say anything. You just laugh because you're, <laughs> you both enjoy it so much, and it's yeah. having so much fun. You don't, you can't even say anything. You just laugh, and that's what that day was. Was just laughing about having a good time and enjoying it, and yeah, you know, uh, fortunately, we get to have those days you know, pretty frequently together when we go out and it's just, it's a riot every single time. Oh yeah. I, I don't doubt that. You guys are both impressive anglers and obviously, you know, for the stuff you do post, <laughs> people can see that it's a true testament, but you know, when you were, it's, it, you bring up that point about not sharing it and it's, it's an interesting topic amongst the community because some guys kind of get annoyed by it. But when you look at things, guys work so hard to find that yeah. success that, you know, Granted, yeah, it's sometimes in some cases it's cool to to share it, but when you put that many hours in and that yeah. amount of work and knowledge just to have somebody take that idea and takes right. thirty seconds to run over there and then catch them, it right. kind of it, it burns almost like because you know you put that much work into it. You know, it's seeing someone take your success. You yeah, know? I mean, I don't even know. I, it's not that I want someone to take my success. They're not necessarily doing that, but yeah. It, it's so hard. I mean, there's so many resources now to figure out how to find and catch fish. Right. And when you put in, it's as hard as it is to do and win. And the whole process is just that it's a process of, of yep. doing that. And, you know, for me, when I go down to the lake in the spring and it doesn't matter if I go to Cayuga or, or Sodus or Canisius or Oneida, wherever I go, I mean, even in the spring when there's nothing on the line and it doesn't matter, I still idle around the lake. I still explore. I still experiment. I still fish new water I've never fished before because, number one, it makes you better and more versatile. And, number two, it'll pay off in the long run. And, um, you know, a lot of times when I go to Cayuga in the springtime, I, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I, I idle for hours. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'll go out in the morning if they're biting and it's pre-spawn. I mean, it's pretty easy to catch them. Most guys go down there and yeah. catch the crap out of them. Yeah. You know, I'll go out and I'll catch them for an hour to kind of scratch the itch. And then I might idle for two or three or four hours trying to just find anything I can find. And, um, you know, then go back to the bank and catch a few for an hour or two and, you know, satisfy the, the itch. And then idle. I mean, run up and down the lake, idle. I don't just look at new water, run up place I've never been and, um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, pays off and makes a difference on days like we had last spring. And, um, I had, I've had days in the summertime too, that, 
you know, have come from a springtime, you know, idling around type day. Well, yeah, but when you when you explore more and you, you try to find newer water each time you're out, you know, it's better because when you're in a tournament situation and your your best spots don't pan out the way you want to, you have more options to fall back on. Whereas you'll be, you know, in that tournament situation, you might run new water that you have no idea what it's like. But right. the more water you know of and have experienced, the more you kind of are confident running certain areas that you're not yeah. just doing something completely new. And right. Yeah. Yeah, and what but, uh, you were saying too originally, you know, if I'm the one out there idling all those hours, like on a sp fun spring day when you could be catching 100 fish, maybe I only catch 20 or 30 because I'm spending all that time idling. Like, I don't want someone to just take that. I don't want to give yeah. that away. That's my work, my time. It's my process. You know, you want to enjoy it when the time comes, not have it given away to the guy who was out there, you know, just goofing around, having fun fishing. So yeah. I think that's why I'm more protective than, you know, the average guy. And some people see that and take it in the wrong light or you're a jerk or, you know, you don't, you know, tell me the truth. I mean, it's not, it's not that it's just, I get so much time to fish at this point. I still have to work, you know, and yeah. I only get a day or two to fish like everybody else does. Um, and I have a family and the whole works and, you know, if that's, that's, you know, my little bit of time I get to fish. I want to, I want it to pay off. So I guess, yeah. that's kind of, I mean, yeah. we even do it amongst each other, amongst our buddies. My buddy, uh, Tom gets mad at me all the time because I go out and I hide stuff from him and oh, why you got to do that? Don't, you know, quit being like that. It's just a fun tournament. You know, I'm not going to ruin a friendship over fishing. I'm like, I'm not, you. I'm not, you know, but we all, you know, we're just super competitive group of guys. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes that happens. Well, if you put it in like a, a works perspective, like you're working a nine to five and say, you know, that promotion is that, you know, that five pounder, I guess you want to say. And right. Um, you put in all that work to get that promotion, but then you're, you know, a coworker just takes and takes that success from right. you and gets that promotion. It's like them stealing the best, but you put all the work in and you, yeah. you know, and then exactly. stole right up right from under you. It's exactly. Yeah. So I, I can see, you know, that the both sides of that, but it's when you put in that much work, I totally understand. And yeah. I, I have some spots that are like that too, but. You know, it makes it, it tough it to do seminars and stuff like this weekend. I did a seminar at the Niagara yeah. Expo about Cayuga Lake. And, you know, I said stuff in there that was, you know, very, uh, a lot of years of, you know, learning the lake and how fish move on the lake. And yeah. uh, you get a little hesitant, but it's part of, you know, the, the job, I guess, at this level is you got to do seminars. You got to help sponsors. You got to help people learn to fish. I like teaching people how to fish. Just yeah. want to catch my fish, but <laughs> I like, you know, yeah. I like, you know, when I go out with um, my buddy Liam, I fish with all the time. He's still young and he hasn't fished as long as I have. And I like taking him out and showing him, you know, new stuff or stuff I found. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a blast. And it's another guy who, when we go out and you're catching big fish all day and they come over the side and you just laugh because you both enjoy it. You just love fishing that that much. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk I about another. I love fishing that much, where I'm. I want to be the one to catch them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, talk about another uh, up and coming hammer out of New York, uh, Liam. There, shout out to him if he's if he's listening in. Haven't talked yeah. to him in a long time, but good he kid. He probably he'll probably watch or listen, and uh, I'm not gonna give him too much credit because <laughs> he's <laughs> he's uh, he knows he's good. But he that kid, uh, I met him when he was probably 15 years old, and he was in Rochester Bassmasters, and um, I don't know, you could just tell that he loved to fish, and mm -hmm. he still does to this day. He's probably the one buddy of mine that's as sick in the head with it as I am. I mean, a couple guys. You know, have kids getting older and um, jobs taking over and, you know, other stuff going on. And Liam is young enough to where he doesn't have a lot of that. So he's still sick in the head with it. Um, and he's ate up every minute. We talk and text every day about it. Can't wait to get to Saturday and, you know, go fishing again. And uh, he's got that natural ability to understand. I don't know if it's understand nature or patterns or the water or just detail oriented mindset he's whatever it is that it takes to be a good angler he has it there's there's no doubt 
But yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say any more good things about him. Let it get to <laughs> Keep him humble, yeah. But it, it's, Keep him humble. Yeah, it's, it's evident, though, that it runs in the family, too, because we, we spoke at the Expo as well, is that his younger brother tears up the, the kayak side of things, too. And yeah. it's, it's a passion that must run in the family. Yeah, his little brother's good, too. And the crazy thing is, is they don't come from, you know, the, the background I have with my dad. They're, his parents or his dad didn't fish. And uh, I'm pretty sure he told me when I first met him that he just watched it on TV or read the magazines and, you know, thought it was interesting and took off with it. And asked his dad to join, help him join Rochester Bassmasters. And back when I met him, you know, his dad was there every single meeting bringing Liam because Liam couldn't drive and, um, his parents still come to the weigh-ins all the time if we're close by or fishing a team tournament together. Um, his parents are there all the time. So it's, it's cool to see how supportive they are of each other and how much the kid, you know, Liam and Aiden enjoy, um, fishing, you know, at, at the age they're at. So. Yeah. I'm about to hop off of this and go yell at my parents. They've never come to a single weigh-in. No, mine, <laughs> mine don't come too much anymore, but every yeah. once in a while they'll come. My dad will come every once in a while, and stepmom, um, my wife and son come a lot. So if yeah. I'm in the hunt for something, you know, they'll they'll show up. So I know that they're watching. That's all that really matters, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the cool part, though, is watching families come and seeing a different thing, especially the kids, you know, watching their, their mom or dad go up and weigh in some fish. And it's, it's pretty sweet. But uh, yeah. um, one question I wanted to ask you, um, and obviously not to give away any of your information because I know this is you still have to make a living this way. Um, but when you attack a tournament on a a lake that you've never been to, I guess what is like your mindset going into it to, I guess, develop a strategy for your tournament? I got a, I mean, I got a pretty detailed system that I like to follow, um, and it starts in the winter time, and it's something actually going back to talking about Chris. Chris helped me with back in the day and it starts you know this time of year it's mid-january now um i'm doing it already because we're going to lake st Clair for the third coast of this year and i've never been there before so mm-hmm. i hop online and do as much research as i can do watch as many tournaments that are that time of year that i'm going to be there you know and i usually go like plus or minus one month uh, to play years with crazy you know weather variables and all that and find the best areas of the lake that produce you know, year after year after year. And, uh, you know, then I hop online to Navionics or Lake Master apps. And I still buy paper maps for every new lake that I go to and start to look at those areas. You know, if you're going to the Thousand Islands, say, and they were talking about Waddington being good year after year after year, I would look very hard at that section. I mean, if if you watch an Elite Series tournament now, you can, they'll show you exactly where a guy was. So, I'll start to look at that stuff and then find similar areas up and down the river, maybe find an area of the river or lake that looks similar to the area that's consistently good and just break down the whole body of water. Um, I I used to be really big also on pre-trips. And and going back to the online research, too, a lot of that is, you know, baits that are good, patterns that are good, that type of stuff. So you just, you know what to have tied on. so then, you know, I'll, I'll make a pre-trip. I used to be really big on pre-trips. I'm not doing it as much anymore. Um, but a pre-trip is usually good to go and just, just look around the body of water in case it's not what you thought it was on paper or on the Internet. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than getting somewhere. And, you know, like I remember the first time I went to Lake Champlain, I was like, oh, this rock is not what I thought this rock was going to be like. I have all the wrong baits tied on. I'm snagging stuff yeah. off or the St. Lawrence River, the, the current was way different than what I thought, or, you know, vegetation on Gunnersville is not what I thought. There's nothing worse than getting blindsided by that, and then you're starting over once you're there. So a pre-trip is good from that regard. It's bad that you don't want to get hung up if you caught them, you know, in June for somewhere, you know, you don't want to be fishing that place in, in September, and a pre-trip will throw you off in that regard. So you got to be careful. And then uh, I make a list, you know, of Here's the areas I want to practice. Uh, and I get pretty detailed with that. And then um, when I get there and I start practice, I just kind of run through that list. And once I hit something that that's good, then I follow that lead until it, it's time to do something else. So um, I think the most important thing about it is it's is it's a system. It's a structure. It's something that makes my time more efficient. 
and it keeps your mind on the event or the body of water um, a lot more than if you were to just show up. And, you know, just showing up sometimes is good too, but uh, I like to know, you know, as much as I can before I get there. And that goes down to knowing where the boat ramps are and even restaurants and hotels. I mean, you don't want to be running around like a maniac wasting time. Yeah. You have very limited time. So that's, yeah. that's kind of how I do it. And then when I'm there, you know, I try and keep things as familiar to my comfort level as possible. You know, if, if it's, um, if it's a lake that has grass in it and I like, I mean, I like to fish grass and I try and find, some grass that will work in the areas that I've broken down and use the techniques that I like to use. It's not always possible, but you, you definitely want to keep things as close to your comfort level as you can. So I guess going off of that, could you name one fault? I guess a lot of people who fish tournaments uh, tend to make, like if uh, for people kind of starting getting into tournament, you know, tournaments and whatnot, what is one fault that seems to be, you know, I guess common amongst tournament anglers? Um, I, th I think not being prepared enough, you know, I mean, it's a little different when you get to the Costa or tour or elite series level, those guys are all prepared, but for guys trying to get there, it's that preparation. I mean, you don't want to, I used to get so aggravated when I would, when I would have a bad day of practice, come in at night and have no idea what to do or where to even go the next day. And I remember days when I would launch my boat in the morning and go, where am I starting today? You know, and you can't be wasting time doing that. And what that leads to is for me, it used to lead to, okay, that looks good. I'll just start there. And then your mind starts to wander and it's, well, this isn't right. I should be doing this or I should be deep. And then when you go deep, you want to go shallow. So when I break everything down like that, it gives me, a next step all the time even if stuff isn't working i have a, a plan b a plan c a plan d i mean i got plan efgs um almost every time when i go to a lake and i think that's a huge thing is not wasting any time and then when you find something productive you've done the research so you know where you can find more of it right away you know if i'm catching them on points you know rock piles on the end of points on champlain or something i probably know or have an idea where there's a couple more if i've done the proper research nice yeah that makes sense that's a good tip for people kind of getting into things that are trying to get more efficient in their tournament game yeah. uh, so like with all that preparation that it, it takes you to you know get a plan down and feel more confident going into day one that how was the feeling at, at the potomac when you realized that you won after all that work you put in what, what, what was going through your head? Dude, that one was, uh, that one took a lot of work too. I had been there one other time for a BFL and done a ton of research. And there was, there was gobs of research on the Potomac River. I mean, yeah, everywhere you turn. Actually, I'd been there twice. I went to, uh, I fished a college fishing tournament there in 2009. It was the first year or second year ever of college fishing. Mm -hmm. You weren't allowed to practice. You weren't allowed to use your boat. I didn't catch a bass. And, um, then I went and fished a BFL in like 2011 or 12. I spent a couple of days on the river and, um, you know, I, I, I knew it a, a little tiny bit, but, uh, leading into that Costa season, um, I did a ton of research online and had it narrowed down to where, you know, I had a pretty good idea of a couple of sections that that tournament was going to get one in. So we went down for a pre-term or pre-practice that year. I think it was Memorial day and spent, um like four days there chris went um he had a guy with him and then i took liam with me and uh you know the fishing was a little bit irrelevant the patterns didn't really matter but it became familiar you know with how the tide moved up and down and re-familiarized with how the grass laid out and just the size of the place you know how long it takes to get from here to there um so we did all that and then came back for the tournament and you know, felt okay because we were catching some fish and practice went, ended up going pretty good. Um, and we got in an area that um, actually Chris and I were practicing in together and he had a bunch of bites and, and I didn't have hardly any at all. And he said, he said, I think it's related to the contour in here. There's some deeper water, you know, and we both sat down and mapped the entire area out. It was like 
maybe a Monday or a Tuesday night. And we stayed out there until, I mean, as dark as you could let it get, whatever was in the rules. I don't remember at the time, but we, we stayed out there as late as you could be and marked the whole grass out where the dips were, the turns were, the drops were, the high spots were. Came in that day and talked about it, you know, that night. And I went back out there the very next morning, first light. I was the first boat at the ramp. I think me and him were first boat. I went to that area and I had probably 10 bites, right? Caught one or two and then started shaking them off. And, and it was like, okay, you know, this is, this is panning out. Um, and then, you know, the first day it didn't work great. I started there and um, left there with four fish. Uh, ran up the river, lost a big one, and then filled out my limit. And those were the six bites I had all day. I filled out my limit with like wow. a keeper. I think it was 14, 15 incher. And I had 14 or 15 pounds somewhere in there. And the next day, um, I knew there were still more fish in there. I just felt like I didn't play the tide right. Yeah. So the next day, we had a really big storm come in. And um, it was blowing like 20 miles an hour out of the north rainy windy i mean blowing right in the area and i had a co-angler from from there and i was like man i don't know if we should go down there it's long run and if we get stuck down there we're gonna kill a ton of time um so i just debated it and you know was so nervous and we came out of Matawoman creek that day and i i wasn't even sure at that time where i was gonna go and i turned to my co-angler and i said screw it let's try and win and we ran down to that area and ended up being the only boat there. And I caught 20 pounds. I think it was 20 pounds even that day. It was the biggest bag of the tournament. And I went from somewhere in the 20s or 30s to leading the tournament. So two days into fishing coasts, you're leading a tournament. And Brian Schmidt, who's probably the best Potomac River fisherman there is, was in second place behind me. Oh, and geez. I didn't know it at the time because I was so green. But I had guys like Ron Nelson behind me and um jeff colbo behind me i mean it was a ridiculous list of guys behind me i i didn't i just literally was too you know ignorant or green to know innocent to know and uh you know i was exhausted by that point the next day we went out and went through the top 10 and all that and um ran down to that area and of course the guy i had with me was leading on the co-angler side and we we pull into the area and i put the power poles down and uh throw in there you know, for like 15 minutes. And I turned to the guy and I go, yeah, it can't be this easy for three days. Huh? And as soon as I said that one bit and I, I caught like a four and a half and I caught, I caught my whole bag that day in the next 10 minutes, probably. And I mean, I was hooting and hollering and screaming. I still did have one little one in there though. So I didn't know, you know, if it was going to be enough, I knew I had 15, 16 pounds, something like that. Schmidt was a couple pounds behind me. So he would need probably 18 to catch me. And, uh, we waited till the last minute. At the end of a day, another competitor came in there, and he got right on top of me. We got into an argument and this and that. We were going back and forth, and he told me what he had for weight. He was in maybe fifth or something, and then right in front of me, he catches like a four and a half or a five, and I'm like, Jeez. oh, my gosh, like this guy might have enough to beat me. He takes off and goes back as soon as he lands that fish because, you know, he asked me what I had, and, of course, I undercut it. You know, I said less than I had. So he thinks he's now got enough. So he runs back in. I told my co-angler, I said, we're going to sit here till it's the last minute because I got to call that fish. And we sat and sat and sat and sat and sat, picked up and finally ran back in. And we get about five miles into a 20-mile run and my motor went into guardian mode. And my oh. co-angler 100% had enough weight to win. We knew that he was probably good. So he had, you know, $30,000 of fish in the boat. I didn't know what I had in the boat if it was another yeah. knot. And we made it back with like 30 seconds left. And Jeez. I mean, I was calling the tournament director while I was trying to run in and everything. I couldn't eat or drink or anything the whole day because I was so nervous. And um, we finally get back and I didn't know what the top 10 process was like. That takes forever and a day, it seems like. And uh, I finally get up there and they're like, all right, you need, you know, I don't remember what it was, 15 pounds or whatever to win. And I was pretty sure I had that. And when the number popped up on the scale, I, I can't remember exactly. It was 16 and a half or so. I mean, there's pictures. If you look at like my Instagram profile picture, that's the picture when I won. And I just, you know, let out a scream and a yell and it was overwhelming. It was, it was so unbelievable to have that much work pay off uh, on that level that I, I can't even describe it. And, 
I think uh, the only bad part about it was was there was like nobody there I knew to celebrate with afterwards. Oh. Every, you know, <laughs> there's only like the top ten guys there, and I didn't know anybody. All my buddies had gone home, and yeah, you know, I just got in a truck and drove through the night to get home. So it was a little anticlimactic from that regard. But uh, I mean, I try not to live too much in the past, but man, when you have something like that happen, it's um, I think it keeps you motivated to sit back and think about it. Um, yeah. You know once in a while and you know when i come out in the shop and the trophies on the wall that makes you um you know remember what it took to get that yeah Um, and i want to feel that again one day i want to win an angler of the year one day i want to do a lot of things one day and um those are the things for me that keep me going is thinking about those successes yeah i was gonna say i mean i i agree living in the past you know you don't want to slow yourself up and try to you you always want to try to become better but i think When you, especially when you're, you know, when you wake up in the morning, remember that feeling, that's the, your drive to keep working at it, to keep trying to become better, to, to go to that next level. Because yeah. that feeling there, I mean, that's what's got to keep you going. Like, obviously, you're not living and, you know, sucking everything from that one event, but right. just keeping it in the back of your mind of this is why you're here. You're, you're yeah. going for that next one, you know, and not just uh, living in the past, like you said. So it's good. Like you said, it's a motivation. So. It is. That's what I use it for. I mean, I'm out here in the shop and I got, I keep my trophies on the wall and um, stuff like that over this way where you can't see. There's a bunch of you know, yeah. club tournaments and stuff on the wall. And I think it's a mindset too, a way of thinking that keeps you positive to keep that stuff fresh. I remember when I was really learning about the stuff we talked about earlier, um, you know, trying to break through and win. And, you know, there was a point where I felt like I was close all the time. and could never close a deal. And um, at the time, like YouTube stuff was getting big and man, I watched everything I could watch where it was somebody winning. I remember one that really stood out was Casey Martin won on Chickamauga on the FLW tour. It was a circuit breaker episode and just watching how all that happens, keeping your mindset right, thinking about the right things and the whole process just, you know, it's it's it is that it's a process and that is part of it it's thinking about success all the time you know not the success you've had living off of it but thinking about success so when you get in those situations on the water maybe when you don't know do i stay or do i go you know should i fish here or should i fish there when you make the decision you're confident to do the right thing yeah yeah, I, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day when you mentioned, you know, staying or going in an area. There's the uh, the Brian Thrift rule where it's like the 15 minutes where if you, if you go in an area and there's yeah. you don't get a bite 15 minutes, pick up and get out of there. But it's, I guess it's kind of iffy in some situations where that could apply to. And sometimes you might just need to hunker down and stay. But yeah. it's, it's all decision making is what it comes down to, to being a competitive angler. You know? yeah. I think it helps, too. Like, I, I watch everything there is to watch. I pay attention to every tournament especially when guys like Jacob Wheeler, Brian Thrift, um, you know, Van Dam is one of my all-time favorites. I listen and watch to everything those guys do and say, and, you know, I think that whole thing just helps you become better. It's all part of that, that massive process of, you know, tournament fishing. And, um, uh, you know, if you're not working hard, someone else is, that's for sure. So I, I try and be the hardest working guy. And uh, I've had tournaments where, you know, it doesn't go well. And, um, you know, at least I come off the water and say, I couldn't have worked any harder. I know that, yeah. you know, I can go home yeah. and be fine with it if I don't do well and move on to the next one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good mindset to have. It's It's more positive rather than focusing on the negative. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the, my buddies will tell you, I'm not always the most positive guy, but um, <laughs> it's hard to be. Learn, yeah. Trying, I definitely try and learn from fishing all the time. And, uh, and I think it pays off, you know, more often than not. So, so looking, you know, down the road, moving forward for 2020, what's, what's the plan for Casey Smith? Uh, 2020 is back to the Costa Northern division, at least one more year. Um, We'll see what happens. I don't think there's, um, you know, I I'd had an invite to the FLW Pro Circuit this year off of qualification, and I declined it because of the format changes as far as, you know, it's it's still second tier to the BPT. Um, the entry fees were a little ridiculous, and it was 
um, hard to find sponsorship dollars to support that. I mean, I have a, I have a job. Fishing is not my primary income. Um, and I, I can't make what I make at my primary job, um, under that format, I don't think. So, um, I declined that. Um, if I qualify this year, it would probably be the same answer. I don't know if that's the best road for me. Um, I don't know if pro fishing is the best road for me, but, um, we're going to look at things after 2020, see where it goes. I mean, you're talking about something here that I might finish 150th in the standings. I have no idea. I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. Um, I've had years that were good, followed up by a real dud. So um, that's a possibility. You never know. Um, but uh, for now, it's kind of hang tight. I've got a good little niche in the coast of Northern Division where it fits my vacation schedule at work okay. The tournaments are, are on familiar bodies of water. And um, I truly enjoy the media and people at FLW at that level, um, you know, so it's very comfortable. I, I would like to try some other things at some point. I just don't know when the timing for that will be right. Yeah. Well, I can speak for everybody from New York and the Northeast. We're rooting for you. Hoping to uh, see see that AOI. I so, appreciate uh, it. I, uh, I want to – sort of my goals is just – you know, I want to be the guy who represents this area and represents it well. Jamie Hartman is doing that, but, you know, he took off on us. He lives in Arkansas now, so uh, <laughs> he's not a true Yankee who suffers through mid-January like we're doing tonight anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I would like to be the guy who suffers through the winter and can, can succeed. I remember when I did well when I won on the Potomac. It was a goal that um, it seemed like at the time – Costas and opens and all that were either be, being won by pros dropping down cherry picking them or locals. And I always said I wanted to go to a southern fishery and be the northern guy that that's not a pro, not a local that can win. Um, mm. And I would like to be that from the northeast. I'd like to be the guy who number one shows that we have extremely skilled anglers from here. We have great lakes. We have good, respectable guys. We work hard and that we can hang with the rest of the country. Um, I, I guess that's my main goal out of fishing is to just be a figure that people can look at and uh, say, hey, he works hard. He does it right. Um, he's respectable and uh, he represents where he's from very well. Well, you're doing just that. So keep it up, man. Thanks, brother. Of course. So uh, while we we're going to start wrapping up a little bit here. But before we hop into my little closing segment of some couple of fun questions, I like to ask Are there any pro staff or any social media people should go follow oh uh, yeah i mean i'm not super active on social media but i try to do it i vow every year i'm gonna do better but uh i got instagram it's casey at casey smitty facebook um is just casey smith it's a regular page it's not a fan page or an athlete page or anything like that so that's just at casey smith i have some youtube which i am 100 going to do better at this year i bought some equipment uh that's just at Wait. casey smith there's a few casey smiths on there so search Casey Smith FLW or uh, a lot of my stuff on there was from Kitech days in the past, stuff like that. So you should be able to find it. Um, I don't even mind if you email me Casey Smith 0713 at gmail.com. If people have questions um, about anything we talked about and um, sponsor wise, uh, Sims, uh, Ranger boats, Avenue, Thayer's Marine. Um, I don't know. I'm going to forget somebody, but uh, those are the people that, you know, take care of me and, sponsors is a whole nother thing we could get into here that probably would take an hour i don't know how long we've been on an hour probably but almost an hour yeah we could probably get on go another hour or two on that but uh, i definitely um try and uh, align myself with companies and people who run those companies who i really appreciate and appreciate me and can represent good quality products and um you know don't push me to do things that i'm uncomfortable with and all those companies are just that and uh they truly are some of the best stuff that is out there. Yeah, not 100%. Yeah, and that's awesome. Um, what I think upon you saying that, we'll have to get you back on halfway through the uh, the season if you have time, and uh, we'll get a uh, mid-season update from you, and then sure. we'll have a whole segment talking about the uh, pros and cons of sponsors and what have you. So Yeah, we could go on. Me and you talked yeah. this weekend about a little bit at the show, yep. and uh, we yep. could go on forever. It's, it's a necessary evil. You know, I'm aware yep. – of it i'm aware of social media being a necessary evil uh, we've talked about some of the reasons i don't like it um yep. 
earlier, there's reasons sponsor wise that it, I'm not a huge fan of some of the things that go on. But um, I think what it comes down to for me is deep down, I love to bass fish. I love to do well and win tournaments. I love to catch big fish. And I like to do it with my best buddies. And uh, I like to do it in a t-shirt and jeans on my own time. And, um, you know, that's just what I've got in me. And, uh, you know, that's right for some people, not right for other people. It is what it is. That's what I'm going to be. And um, I'm going to try and never change that. You know, I'm not going to say it's not going to have to change because the industry might force it to change. But even if it does change, I hope people listen to this and know that uh, inside that that's what I love to do is just catch fish, be on the water, and, and enjoy it. Yeah, and it's one conversation I've had. You know, we won't dwell into it too much. We can save that for another time. But um, having a partnership over a, I guess, a sponsorship where it's a sponsorship almost sounds like a one-way street, whereas right. a partnership, when you work with a company that works with you and accepts your style and, you know, as long as you're – doing something you believe in and if they believe in you and what, what your style is that's what's all that matters that's how you build that foundation it's that's what it sounds like you have with right. the folks that are supporting supporting you and behind you so yeah i mean i've learned a lot about sponsors i've i've dallied with sponsors since i was in rochester Bassmasters, and it doesn't matter if it was stuff that was 10 or 20 percent off or it was paying sponsors who were covering your entry fees and your costs i've had kind of the full run of both of those and i've learned a lot from all of those. And I feel right now um, that I know more about what I want out of a sponsor and what I can do for a sponsor than I ever did before. And I also know um, not to enter into a deal, even if it's not a bad deal, um, you know, say product wise or financially, I know not to enter into it if the, they're going to ask me to do things I'm not comfortable with because I know me and I'm not going to do them. And awesome. I don't want to let somebody down with that. And, yeah. you know, um, I've had some great sponsors in the past. I, I don't want people to take that the wrong way. I've, I had a great bait sponsor for a long time that things went very well for a long time. So I don't want anybody to think that listens to this, that that's what I'm talking about or any of that. I just know um, to get where I got to go. I think I understand a lot more about, about what I need to do, um, you know, sponsor wise and look for. And I, you know, I'm, I'm working on that all the time. Yeah. Well, I think that's a message to people that when you, when you're looking for those sort of things, I think it's important to stay true to yourself yeah. and really not, not conforming to somebody who's trying to push you a certain way, of, you know, being the angler you want to be in the image that you want to portray. I think right. anybody else's input, it's irrelevant besides your own. So, yeah. um, that's good, so keep that up. And I, I see some big things for you. I hope it comes. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna hop into these last two questions before we right. end our hour plus long podcast here tonight. Uh, we can go on for hours, but uh, this question I like to ask because everybody's answer is always different, and uh, it's interesting. But um, if you were to have dinner and like invite, have dinner and sit down. With three different people, past or present, just to pick their brain, who would they be? And they don't have to be fishing. It could be anybody. Uh, it's a stumper. It's hard not to say three of my best buddies. Um, you can do that. You can do, like you know, I said, you can do anything. That would be one. At the same time, past, I would love to sit down and have a dinner at this point with my grandfather, who was yeah. the one who, you know, took me fishing on Cayuga and got my dad that's the one who took my dad fishing so that would be huge i'm not gonna say any more about that before i break down uh, i don't here but uh that would be one um I, w I gotta go with those you know my grandfather and my buddies you know that's like that. uh, what it goes back to being uh t-shirt and jeans type of fisherman yeah. you know i mean there's some other cool answers i guess out there brian thrift would be cool or whatever but um, to me, that's the people I care about. That's the people who I want to think I'm doing. You know, those are the people I want to think of me a certain way. I don't really care a whole lot about, you know, what the rest of the world thinks about it, whether they like, you know, the way I go about it or not. But I want those people, my buddies and my, my grandfather, to know that I work hard and care about it. And um, when I do do well, it's for them. And, and I guess, you know, I don't want to saying that i don't want to exclude my wife and son from that because they're a huge part of it but yeah. um 
you know, that's the group of people that I care the most about. And I want them to know that when I'm, you know, working hard and away from home, I'm doing it for them. So, yeah, that's perfect. It's staying down to earth and true to who you are. So that's a perfect answer. That's awesome. I like that. Cool. Yeah, so we'll cap it off with this last this last question. So it's plain and simple. First thing that comes to your mind is your your favorite fishing memory. Oh man, there is so fortunately there's so many. Um, the Potomac was really good, man. The Potomac was good. I also remember uh, when I was little, I caught this giant off the dock in the spring on a jig. It was just big nasty black and jig with a huge like pork trailer on it and it was on a spinning <laughs> rod and uh i have a hat on that's it says 1989 uh new york bass federation six-man team and it was one of those like 90s or 80s hats where the top of it's like you could fit a four pounder under the top of the hat it's so tall <laughs> it was my dad's but i i was wearing it and i had um uh, this was before your time, but I had a Ranger Boats jacket on, and on the back it said Ranger Boats flipping Arkansas. I mean, dude, I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. I was little. I don't remember how little I was, but yeah, I got to imagine if I walked into a store, people were like, what is that kid wearing? Ranger Boats flipping <laughs> Arkansas. It's just what I was. Yeah. But, um, catching that big one off the dock, uh, that's a picture that I look at all the time, and um, I still have it in my house, and uh, that was a big fish. And I remember my dad and uncle and uh, my grandpa was alive at the time. Everybody just astonished that a little kid my size caught that bass and caught it off a dock on a ridiculous, you know, what kid that age throws a jig? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, probably that, you know, that and then the Potomac. I, I guess we'll make it a toss-up. That's awesome. That's perfect. I, I would love to see that picture at some point. See, <laughs> I'll, I'll text it to you or something and yeah. DM it to you, and you can maybe you can share it on a page or something like that. I got it inside. I'll get it. When I, actually, I got it saved right. on my phone. That's awesome. Perfect. Well, Casey, man, it's been a it's been a pleasure to have you on here. I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know uh, yeah. obviously you have a, a day job and things that keep you busy, and tournaments are wrapped up. You know, they're about to start real quick here, so I know time is not you know of the essence for you you know shortly here. But uh, yeah. appreciate you taking the time tonight to to hop on here and uh i wish you the best moving forward i know we're going to stay in touch but i hope to have you back on this podcast down the road so we see how well you're doing with the uh, the coasters yeah anytime i appreciate it It was good to catch up this weekend and uh meet you at the expo and i hope it's here sooner rather than later because i'm ready to go right now i'm standing out here in the garage i got my new (laughs) boat in this fall i didn't even really get to use it and it smells like fiberglass and i want to take it out and and, yeah, uh, no fishing, man. So bad. Well, we got a little while, little while to wait. A little bit, yeah. But I, I don't blame you. But yo, know, soon, soon enough, it'll be, it'll be here before you know it. So uh, go get ready, get prepared. I'm sure you will. But uh, wishing you the best, and we'll be, we'll be watching, man. Thank you very much, man. Stay in touch. Yeah, you, you too. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Hey guys, I just want to say thank you for listening to my podcast in its entirety. With that being said, if you'd like to support the Serious Angler Podcast, please head to my page and click support. Any amount really helps me be able to create content for you guys and also helps me you know, pay the bills, which gives me more time to make podcasts for you guys. Thank you guys again for listening to the Serious Angler Podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.